Welcome to Marsha's Plate. This is an interview episode where we talk to friends, family, other community members, and anybody else we want to talk to. <laughs> hey brother, hey brother, hey sister, hey sister, hey sibling, how are you? Hey brother, hey brother, hey sister, hey sister, hey sibling, how are you? How you been doing? Just checking in today. I've wanted this man on the show for a very, very long time, and we finally made time during this, you know, that week between Christmas and <laughs> and New Year. But we really ain't got shit to do because <laughs> <laughs> motherfuckers is on break, and motherfuckers <laughs> is not calling you, motherfuckers is not emailing you, trying to get you to do underpaid work. <laughs> so we got some time to. Um, actually sit down and talk and um i want to thank him for making that time so this is this is the amazing teak milan cultural influencer journalist writer public speaker and just a thought leader just a bad nigga out in these streets that i am so <laughs> proud of inclusive media consultant he, he does hostings uh, just out here hustling <laughs> and carving a new, unique path in the world and we love to see it so Teek, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to, to be here with you. And I'm so proud of you, the space you're taking up, the conversations you're having, just how you're out here not giving a fuck, okay? <laughs> how it is and creating community for us and space for us to really show our like our intellectual dexterity to show how you know beautiful and brilliant we are. You are a part of that. And so um I appreciate you and I'm so so happy to be here. Oh, thank you. <laughs> So uh, what I always start is tell me how I always start is tell me like you're growing up. Who was loving on you? Who was inspiring you as a little boy? Who was inspiring you as a little girl, a little, as a little kid? What, however you identify when you were a kid, how, you know, what, who was that unit? You know, growing up, it really was my family. And, you know, and I'm glad you asked that because I think oftentimes when we talk about our black trans experience or the trans experience in general, you know, inclusive of our races. It's all about, you know, the resilience and the strength and like, you know, all of the struggles that we had growing up and, you know, parents. And I did not have that. You know, my trans experience was a love story. It really was. My family loves me and they've loved me always. And they've always accepted me. And I can, my family black, we blickety black. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> from Buffalo, we're from Buffalo, New York. And anybody knows about Buffalo, the Rust Belt. You know, we are working class, salt of the earth people. My mother was a nurse, God rest her soul. My father was a mechanic, Christian people, you know, trans and gay. Nothing, that wasn't anything that was a part of our everyday life or a part of our lexicon. But they loved me from the beginning. Even when they didn't understand me, they they loved me. So growing up, you know, it was my mother who was always there. It's my dad who's still around. I just talked to him earlier today. You know, I have um, I got I got three sisters. Oh, I well, four sisters. I have a stepsister and I got a stepbrother. I have sixteen nieces and nephews. I have a big, huge family who have loved up on me um since the very beginning, and that has been so so crucial mm. to my has been so crucial to my success and my confidence in this world. And you know, and that's why when I when I when I talk to people, when I go to these talk these conferences, or if I'm in classrooms, I'm talking to parents. You know, I tell them, like, you know, love is the answer. 
You know, like whatever that is, love upon your trans kids and your trans family members and your queer people, because without that, you know, it breaks us. And I've seen so many trans people and queer people who are broken, who are mentally ill, who are just, you know, because of that lack of love, mm. you know, and I was able to not to say that my life was perfect or that I'm perfect because I'm in therapy. I got a lot of shit. Going on. <laughs> <laughs> Get into that, you know, <laughs> but, but it comes from my foundation. My foundation was really rooted in love and blackness and, and acceptance. And, um, you know, and I'm here today because of it. Yeah. Really, really. That mm-hmm. resonates with me because, you know, I when I think about my my mom, who was my my center, she mm-hmm. always made me feel love. I did. Even when um, there was some moments where even when I questioned it, she made sure to reassure me that this sure. is what's going on and that I love you no matter what, even if she vented some shit to somebody else and it got back to me <laughs> even if she had to let her shit out to somebody else um but when it came to in my face to me how she engaged with me she was very clear that i do not i value being a good mother more than i value any homophobic feelings that i have any transphobic feeling that i have and so yes there are some parts of me that did not want this to happen i had a dream of my firstborn son but yeah <laughs> but that's oh. not how it worked out so i gotta get over that shit. and i <laughs> want you to know that no matter what i'm in your corner and knowing that allowed me to become the person prepared for the life that I live now because I always had a home of love and so if me being out here battling and suing and and fighting for whatever rights that I needed to have to fight for as a trans person I knew that I could go back to coach and get that to my mom and say hey you know even through her addiction even through everything else I still had that home to go and talk to is your mother still still alive? No, she passed away in 2022. No, 2020. So that's I'm sorry, sorry, Hicks. I felt like I, I felt like I knew I felt like I would see pictures of you post a picture of your mom and talk about your mom. But that's yeah. the thing. You know, my mother died of cancer in 2014. But one thing that I know is that, you know, they prepared us to live in this world without them. Mm-hmm. Come on. The love that they gave us, that's to say, baby, when I'm gone, you're still gonna be here. You know, my mother used to say, I'm raising you to be better than me, but that's not what it was. You were raising me to be here without you, for Mm -hmm. us to thrive without them. And to take that love that they gave us and manifest that in our lives and be able to pass that on to our people, to our community, to our family. You know what I'm saying? So we are really blessed to have mamas who loved us, even when they didn't get it. Yeah. My mother's like, I don't understand this trans shit. I don't know what the fuck is going on <laughs> with my child. But I bet you got one of y'all motherfuckers better not say nothing. That part. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that's what it was. And you know, and that's you know, we were really blessed to have that. So I'm glad that you had that. That's so important. Mm. Now I, what I see in you and your father is something that I don't have. So I do not have a connection with my dad in that kind of way, even though he is a queer man. There is something really? about, yes, even though oh there's something about my transness that he don't fuck with. And so... Um, how yeah. does he, how is that? Okay, let's talk about that a little bit. <laughs> let's talk about you. Wait a minute. Wait, so your daddy is queer and has an issue with your transness. How does that, how did he record, like, what is that how? What, what is he, what is it? What is he saying? What's the disconnect? 
So when um, actually on this podcast, my very first episode, the very first episode of me launching the podcast is called Daddy's Lessons. And mm. like, like March's plate number one, the very first episode. Um, and I talk about me um, through Ancestry DNA, not finding him, I already knew him, but Basically, when you put your ancestor DNA in, anybody else who anybody who has put their shit in there, they they connect you with them. Yeah, and so yeah. it confirmed to him that I was his child, even though he knew me and we had a we you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I think he expressed that there was some kind of maybe, maybe not situation in him. But it was strange because when he met me, we he flew me to California. Like, so the, when I was like 11 and, and because he, my mother, yeah. because he was queer my, and my mother was a homophobe, <laughs> culturally Christian, da, 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 because he was queer and she found out he was queer. She said, Oh, I'm not having no faggot raising my son. Right. Right. And so right. she pushed him out of my life, but it got to something. Many things happened. Go watch that. Go watch that show. But, okay. um, but, it was revealed and he flew me to California for a summer and we got, we got cool. Yeah. So years later, um, when I was like 21, my mom went to prison and in, in, in that moment, I only, it was me and my younger brother. And so I was old enough to get custody of my brother. And my father was like, Hey, I don't think you should do that. I don't think you should take custody of your brother. I mm. took took responsibility of some kids. What I want you to do is come to California with me. He's an overachiever, has three degrees, log degree from Berkeley, bioengineering degree from Southern wow. California, um, business, business degree from some other place. So very overachiever type dude. So he came to me with this proposal that, hey, you come to California, I'll take care of you. Because I'm like 22. He was like, I'll take care of you. You get in school. I'll pay for it. And you just come. And he started to ramble about this fantasy of him and me pumping through the city as this elite, <laughs> as this elite uh, father-son duo of successful oh. queerness and it's just oh. this whole fantasy that he had. Hmm. He says, you just don't do this fucking woman shit. Leave this he woman shit alone. For him. Right. This is what I want you to do. You ain't, if you come here, you don't have to worry about nothing. Don't take the responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I say two things to him is I am all my brother has and I can't leave him. That's number one. So I have to do that. And number two, my transness is the only thing that fe- that I feel in my life I have have control over. And that is me. That is authentically me. And this is who I am. So I can't just throw this away. This is not going to happen. And because that was my response to him, he said, oh, well, I can't fuck with you. That's fucked up. I'm sorry that happened. And, you know, this parents be so people, people suck. They do. <laughs> You know, because it's like, well, you you have a child. You know, my father told me when I came out to him, he said to me, he said, you know, you are going to tell me who you are. It's not my job to tell you who you are. You're going to tell me who you are, but I'm going to teach you how to be in this world. I'm going to teach you about honesty and integrity and all of those things. And like, and that's just such a beautiful thing when we have we have kids or we have people in this world, we can't put our own projections and their own, our own definitions um, onto them. 
and then just leave them like that because they don't because they're not cool we they're not you know uh you know they're they're not being who we want them to be they're not satisfying this fantasy of 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 who we're supposed to be that's wild so tell me how does that relationship with him inform your manhood you know my relationship with my dad you know i I would say this my father is a very gentle guy you know he's very masculine you know he ain't no soft dude but he's gentle i've never heard him raise his voice he's never yelled at me I've never seen known him to be violent. I know he's a he's a Vietnam vet and he's done what he's had to do, but I've seen his masculinity grow in a way that is gentle and is quiet and strong. And I've and that has been the example for me. And not not for nothing, even his brothers, my uncles, all of, all the men in my family, just they were like quiet, nerdy, kind of introverted dudes, you know, but still really uh, masculine. And I, you know, so I grew up with that. Not a whole lot of alpha males and a bunch of drinking and cussing and all that stuff. That's nothing I was ever brought up around. And my father's always had a real strong spiritual center. His man has always been centered around God and just, you know, and being a pillar of strength in, in, in the family. And I've always admired that, you know, and as when I transitioned, I got to see more of his vulnerability as his daughter, he didn't never let me see his vulnerable side. But as his son, I've seen him cry. Mm-hmm. As his son, he's he's given me more of who he is as a person, as a human being, and less daddy. Oh. You know, I've gotten to know more about like his hardships. I've gotten to know about his heartbreak more. Mm-hmm. I've gotten to know more about the, you know, the things that bring him joy instead of him just trying to provide and protect for his daughter. Now he's like, I he's created a friendship with me that I don't know that I, he would have necessarily created with me as his daughter. Like, for instance, the conversations he had with my sisters is very different than the conversation he has with me, you know? Right. Sometimes I'm like, it's, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Like, I don't know, but I know it's a, it's different. Um, and so he has been a real pillar. And I just say he's perfect. There's things that my father has done or has not done, and I'm just like, you know, I'm going to do those things differently. You know, I want to show up differently in the world. But for the most part, it's his kindness and his gentleness um, is something that I try to to emulate. I try to be a gentle and, and a good guy, um, and still and still really stand strong in my masculinity. You know, I don't have to be out here, you know, you know, being violent or being super competitive or doing this like this alpha male. I don't I hate that alpha beta. I think that shit is so corny. You know, I don't have to do that in order to be black in order to be a man. Mm-hmm. And I think also, you know, his spirituality, I'm a very spiritual person about to get baptized on the seventh. You know, my relationship with God is really important. His relationship with God and spirituality has informed his masculinity as a man. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the foundation of it. And that's the foundation for me. Like me and my daddy, we do Bible study together. We talk, you know, it's just, it's been, he, he's been super, super important. Super important. You're listening to Houston's own MP Trans 101. Oh, now listen, I know that what is basic trans 101 for me could just be the beginning for you. So this is for your basic ass. What's basic <laughs> for me in this life could be just the beginning for you. So let's talk about the transgender agenda. (laughs) A lot of times when we hear agenda, it's used in a negative context. However, 
despite what other people think about our community, our agenda is pretty clear. Let me lay it out for you. Our agenda is to be inclusive and stop discrimination. Our agenda is bodily sovereignty, having the supreme power over your own body and the choices that you make with that body, having the right to exist on this earth in that body. That through line, that bodily autonomy, that body sovereignty, that is where you will find a, a, a connection, a relatability to the trans experience if you actually want one. We want to boister equity across gender. We want to make more room in the gender conversation for people who live outside of the norms, which also makes more room for people who live within them. Investment in the trans agenda is not just an investment in us as trans people. It's an investment in you and your freedom as well. We want you to have more empathy and foresight into experiences that are different than yours so that you are not constantly blind to when you are impacting somebody else's liberation, when you are suppressing someone else's liberation. When you are working against our liberation, our meaning us and them, me and you, we. (laughs) And I know this is trans one on one, but it shouldn't be this hard for you to know that you should have empathy for people and you should see people's humanity. It shouldn't be that hard for you to know that there shouldn't be a genocide against Palestinians. It shouldn't be that hard for you to see the disparity in black maternity and the mortality rates because of that disparity is a problem that we need to fix together. All these empty buildings and houses that, that are not occupied and we have all these people who are unhoused. It's not hard to see that that is a problem that we need to fix. And it's also not hard to see that the people who are against all of these problems that I'm talking about, that we are all being oppressed by some of the same exact people, the same exact group, the same exact religions, the same exact whatever. We, see, we, we literally see the people who are fighting against this type of liberation. We actually see who is speaking against taking care of other humans who don't care about other humans. There are some other elements of the transgender agenda, (laughs) the trans agenda that I would love for you to take the time to explore. I have put a link in the bottom or in our show notes. Check it out. Come back and tell me what you took from it. Let me know what you learned. Yeah. Link in the show notes. This has been a Trans 101. Oh my God, I want to thank all of our new patrons this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yay, 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 yay. So not only are you helping to sustain this particular podcast, you know, I also donate to other podcasts. I donate to other organizations. I have my 
finger on the pulse of the community. And I know a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing great work out here. So you're not only helping to sustain us, you're helping to sustain other people in a community. Because I put my money where my mouth is. You know, that's just the kind of bitch I am. Community is fuck. <laughs> so thank you. I really, really appreciate you. And if you have not become a patron, why have you not? You can donate as low as a dollar a month. It doesn't matter. Anything helps. Please. Do I have to play Sarah McLaughlin and show you puppies? Like, what do I have to do? Do I have to do resort to what the white people do to get you to give them money? <laughs> Alrighty. Anyway, thank y'all. And the Patreon and PayPal link is at the bottom. Back to the show. So, you know, we're in a time where, you know, you know, chicken heads are coming home to roost. Um, (laughs) And, and, you know, there's this weird space where we want, where we are seeing some of our, we're finding that some of our great black male representatives aren't so great. Um, Even new amazing ones coming up that we're rooting for there's they seem to have a nuance of adding nuance to masculinity and then we boom find out you know that they're abusing people they abuse. uh, <laughs> and so um how are you reconciling because for me there is this there's this thing where yes because i have um an intimate relation with a boyhood um yeah. i have i have an intimate relation with being, um, you know, with with my brothers and being in in space with black men, and that that I love, that I see doing amazing things, and wanting them to succeed, but also wanting to wanting them to dismantle some of the things that are innately in them because of our culture. Um, okay. How are you reconciling holding them accountable, but also um, understanding that they, you know, understand that they there would be a harsher um, and swift um retribution when it comes because of racism when it comes to holding them accountable that's that's a good question that's a tough question how to reconcile because here's the thing the vast majority of the blueprints i i've gotten from cisgender heterosexual black men on being a man have been terrible oh like y'all niggas is fucked up okay <laughs> it's like that. i feel like like cis hetero culture is almost like sociopathic in in the way in which Folks are not how restrictive it is, and folks are not allowed to kind of be there the fullness of themselves. Like you know, so much you know, so much of manhood is informed by like either lust or anger. And if you feel anything outside of that deeply, deeply, then you're not like a real man. And this is what heterosexuality tells us. This is what, and sometimes black masculinity tells us, right? Yes. And so for me, I know that a lot of my masculinity, like my dad, has been really important. But you know, I came out as a lesbian when I was 14 years old. I came out as trans when I was 22. I'm 44 now. I've spent the vast majority of my life in queer community. So a lot of the examples of masculinity I got came from masculine women in lesbian community, came from queer men. And these were the blueprints that have really informed me a lot. And these are the the blueprints that I think have been the most important to me, you know? And so with that, I get really frustrated with cishet men who don't who take advantage of the privileges they have in this world for instance i'm a father but i can't make a child and i'm in a fight of my life for my fatherhood right and you got these niggas up here making babies every which way they don't want to take care of them you know they're beat they're you know beating their kids beating their women you know just like the vast majority of black women have been assaulted by black men that they know and yeah. it just it frustrates me so much and i and, and what i want to do and 
But I need to I need to reconcile that because I get angry. I get angry and I get really critical. And I have to say, Teak, wait a minute. You know, I understand that like this culture is restrictive. This culture does not allow the cold, the matrix of heterosexuality, of cisgender heterosexuality does not allow for black men to really recognize the fullness of themselves. So maybe I should show them some grace. Yeah. Maybe I need to be patient, but it is hard. So I, I don't know what that reconciliation is, but I'm in this space where I want to learn how to give them some grace and have more conversations with them. Because I, you know, I'm a public speaker. I speak all the time, but a lot of time I'm just talking to us. I'm right. just like preaching choir here, which right. is which is which is good. I want to hold space in my community, but we're talking about the gatekeepers of the culture. We're talking about kind of that access of power that has an effect on all of us. It's about having these conversations with with cisgender heterosexual folks because i believe as queer and trans people we are the blueprint to a better future yeah we are the blueprint to freedom we are right. self-determination and they yeah. don't have it and i think that the queer experience isn't just for trans people or you know i think a, i think a heterosexual person can have a queer experience because i think queerness is freedom so being able to, to to define yourself for yourself and when people who have that access to power start to do that we can start to create a better culture so i want to have more conversation with straight black men i want to be able to bring in the lessons that i have around my manhood not to say that i'm better but like let's let's have a conversation about the complexity of the human experience mm -hmm. about the expansiveness of masculinity but these niggas don't want to talk to me right so they find out i am trans everything i say don't make sense no more everything i say is not valid yeah. And that's why I'd be like, fuck them. <laughs> you know, yes. but, but, but we can't be like that. We can't because, you know, or maybe we can. I don't know. But I think that for me, I'm still trying to find how do I have these conversations and not saying that I'm better than you, but I am different from you. And there is a place where I have freedom that you don't. There's a place where I'm not afraid where you are. Yeah. And maybe we can have this conversation, you know, so it is hard to reconcile that. But I but I am I am trying. I'm trying to think about how to have a, these gentle conversations to kind of instead of calling them out, kind of just pull you in like, brother, listen, <laughs> you know, you hurt. You're hurt. That's why you don't know how to handle your emotions. That's why you yeah. get so funny. You know, everything, every, you know, this, you know how it, on social media has been going around like all this list of everything that a man can't do. And we talk about it in jest, right? We talk yeah. about it genuinely, but that's some real shit. If you, you break know? them down, yeah. Yeah, if you break them down, yeah, that's some real shit. And that's and that's a horrible, I, I couldn't imagine living in a culture that says, I can't cry, I can't like the color pink, I can't do this, I can't hug my friend, I can't, I don't know, eat up a <laughs> What the hell are y'all doing over Everything there? Everything is gay. <laughs> Everything is gay. You know what's gay? Being gay. Being gay. <laughs> you know what makes you gay? Liking a person with the same body parts that identify the same as you. Yeah, that's gay. That's gay. Oh, a nigga with another penis. That's gay, nigga. That's it. That's the criteria. You know. So, yeah, so I do think about that a lot because I do think, again, I think that we are a blueprint to a better future. And I think that we can have, and I want us to not be as black queer people, to not be so siloed in our conversations. Because I think our conversations are so brilliant and so poignant. And I wish our cishead brothers and sisters would give us more space to talk to us and create more community with us. I really do. But they're too but busy 
it is hard and they're too busy gatekeeping our own our gender to tell like I just even you know the reflection the mere reflection of that is when I when I talk when cis women is telling me you can't have a baby you can't da 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 but sis I have so much more to offer you because like you just said I there's a freedom that I I was raised with because of my boyhood that can teach you something that's right. That's right. I feel the same way. Like I had a girlhood. Like I'm a 44 year old man, but I was a 10 year old girl. I was uh-huh. a 15 year old girl who had a period. I who know remembers? Period. Who remembers that shit? I know what it's like to be sexually assaulted. I know what it's like to walk down the street and feel like you're prey just because of the skin you're in. I know what it's like to create sisterhood. Yes. I know what it's like, and those things have informed me and fortified me as a man. And there's something valuable there. Yeah. And if they would just like get out of their own heads. Mm-hmm. Get out of your own shit and just be open. But the thing is, to do that is is for them to like, for us to be able for them to get out of their own heads means they have to confront the ways in which they have been harmed or hurt. Because at some point, everybody has been told they weren't man enough or they weren't woman enough woman or they enough. weren't, fe- you know, some in some kind of way, somebody has been hurt or betrayed or just like you know just destroyed because of something in their gender. But we as queer people, we see that and then we say, okay, well, that's happened, but we are going to, we're not going to be how we're supposed to be. We're going to be how we really are, despite all of that, despite the threat of death, despite losing everybody in this world that we thought that we loved. There's a place in which we can have those conversations and you can find the freedom in your in your gender and who you are. And I wish that we could have those conversations, but it's not, it's not, I mean, I think that, I think the, you know, the pendulum is swinging maybe a little bit. Little I don't bit. know. I mean, do you, think? What do you think? I think so. But I also think that there has to be... So we talk... There's these... Um, you know, when we think about, like, white supremacy and these kind of tropes of Blackness that we talk about. So there's the brute that men have to contend with, the Black male brute. Like, they're always... They're over-sexualized. They are violent. They are criminal. Um, blah, 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 blah. The black male butte, the 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 female counterpart of that is going to be like the Jezebel. They are oversexualized. They're the, in sapphire, kind of com- combination of sapphire, oversexualized, and you know, just this kind of predatory thing that's that's making white men want them. <laughs> you know that kind of stuff. And so, uh, but there is there is some when it comes because of. When because of those things, we can we can, and how we have dissected and so many people have talked about those things in academia and in our in 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 our in our hoods and you know those things that are unique to be uniquely against us. Yeah. When we confront some of the dark sides of our own community, we're not talking about from the white gaze, right. from our own community. When we see the brutish behavior from black men. When we see the um, Jezebel, um, mm-hmm. unsafe Jezebel um, behaviors of a woman, when we yep. see um, those toxic things, be- a lot of times we have to understand we got to divest freedom doesn't, freedom to be sexually free, freedom to be um you know, protecting ourselves, all that kind of stuff that mm-hmm. we got to, we got to, how, what am I trying to say? Like, we have to understand that we cannot look at those things from the white gaze when it comes to us dismantling the harm that we do right. with each other. Like, right. yes, I know, bruh. I know that that brute 
trope is against you. But I also know the facts that y'all are out here killing your intimate partners. And we the exactly. least, <laughs> we are the least likely to date outside of our race. I, I know, look, and I'm not stupid enough to where I can't separate the two. And I'm not gonna let you gaslight me into thinking that I can't call you out on your brutish behavior while also understanding the the brute trope that you are up against. I can do right. both. Right, because people use that that white gaze, that white supremacist gaze as an excuse. Oh, that's just a white man and we gotta stick by these black men. We cannot allow black men just to get just to get away with everything just because they're black, just because it's out, how, hard out here in the world. It's hard out here for our women too. It's hard out here for black people, period. That period. does not us, that does not you know, um, keep us away from actually taking accountability to how we show up. Black mm -hmm. men, cis head black men are killing each other and they are killing the women in their in their homes that they are supposed to be protecting. And that is yes. real. Yes. That is fucking real. And I understand that we live in a matrix of white supremacy and the capitalist system. All of these things, all of these things are a part of it. But that is still no excuse to not rooting yourself in love of ourselves and of our community, of our brothers, of our sisters. Yeah. They are failing us. They yes. are failing us. And that is just the truth. There's a reason why black women are more educated, are the head of the household, are the ones, are the biggest growing number of entrepreneurs and black men are. Let me tell you, my job every day, I'm a leadership and development coach. And I have over a thousand clients all over the world. I work with thousands of, of, of companies and corporations all over the world in every sector. And what I do is I train managers and executives. Basically, I go and I teach these people how to be better bosses. Right, from all different angles. I teach 30 different workshops, right? And I've taught tens of thousands of people over the last five years, and I've been doing this work. Tens of thousands, and I am and I'm, I'm not fucking exaggerating right now. I can <laughs> oh, <say> I know. <laughs> like 30 black men, maybe, because they are not working. They're not working. They're not, they're not taking up these spaces. They're just not. And we can all blame it on everybody else, but come on now. Come yeah. on, when are we going to start to take accountability? When are we going to stop coddling black masculinity? Let's not coddle it. Let's build it up. Let's yes. reshape it. Let's reform it because it's a detriment to us all. Yes. And that's why you got a lot of people like, you know, you know, just are trying to divest from that. And, it, and it's kind of heartbreaking because, again, going back to what I'm saying, there's a gentleness that needs to be brought into it. There's a grace that needs to be brought into it. But if you're not ready to confront your own shit, then what are we even doing? Right. Absolutely. You know? I don't know. There should be just as much, just like we are fighting, there should be organizations specific to men to focus on this problem. We, you, every time we get to talking about the problems and oppression against women, y'all want to bring it up. Like when we think about the, the astronomical number of sexual assaults and rapes and molestation da, 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 against little girls and teenage women and da, da, da. they love to come in and say, well, what about the, 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 fe the females who molest boys? And what about the boys who were molested? Great. So where's you are, where is your organization? Where is your organizing work to partner with the women who are already doing the work that is specific for men? Why are you not doing that work? Yep, they're not. They're not. And you know what Dr. Umar has said? You know what? And it's crazy. Like, what a wild time. I've agreed with this nigga like three times. <laughs> yeah. And like, oh, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? What is 
I, he's my favorite broke clock person. Like, yes, they be right, but that's how masculine, black masculinity usually shows up for me. Yes, yeah, sometimes you be right, but sometimes you be wrong as fuck. You will, you get to, yeah. Mm. I agree. He is my favorite broken clock too, because mm. he had said that he was calling these guys out, and they were talking about. They just kept bringing everything on women. These women aren't allowing us to be leaders, and these women, these women. He's like, man, what are you doing? Why aren't you in these communities talking to these young guys? Like, like you know, what I'm saying, why aren't you taking up more space, being accountable? Why are you out here creating, you know, creating families? And inter- I mean, there's nothing wrong with interracial relationships. I mean, do your thing, but I mean, well, anyway. Mm-hmm. I I just think like, you know, you know, when we start to create family, when we get to a point where we have the resources and we are good men and we have the and we and we have a, an opportunity to create family, why are you going outside here where we need to be reinvested in here? You're talking about how all these, you know, the Pookies and the Ray Rays, but why are you not reinvesting in our communities? You know what I'm saying? There's always a lack of accountability. And there's a lot of black women who allow that shit too. They do it too. I've seen it in my own family. I've seen it with my friends who got sons who act all kinds of whatever the fuck, and they got every kind of excuse. You know, and that's that whole idea where where they love your sons and raise your daughters. Uh You know what I'm saying? And that's something that we've seen in the black community, and it goes and it's deep. And we have to start breaking those, breaking those downs, and breaking that down. And the people who are starting to break that down is us, is the queers. Yes, and you are, you are, and understand when you we talk about black women who are aligning with that kind of toxic masculinity or that that culture. You are taking a play, and I know y'all don't like to hear this, but that is a white woman's playbook. Like Girl. standing, <laughs> standing on the side of their men, regardless of the atrocities that they are doing. Yep. I mean, who who does that better <laughs> than them? <laughs> okay, baby, still the whole country's eradicating all people. Okay. And they and they um, sewing quilts for their ass. Sewing quilts. <laughs> Flag. Yes. Oh, yes. So much. So much. <laughs> we are the same age. Um, I'm a, I'm two years younger than you. Um, <laughs> so we come from an era. You know, we come from an era where this visibility was not existent. We come from an era of time where, you know, in the 90s, we did not have trans people on TV, trans people doing workshops, trans people teaching (laughs) companies to be better bosses. We just did not have whatever we have now. Um, Nowhere near it. And so... I seeing this rise in trans visibility, seeing this, you know, first of all, you are one of my favorite trans voices that has emerged in this decade that we have um, um, that we have in this past 15 years. Um, How has this rise impacted you um, and your connection to community? How has this impacted me? I mean, you know, that's a good question. Um, I mean, the impact is great. I mean, career-wise, it's been it's been great. You know, I think you know I've been able to, you know, make a career out of me me being a very public-facing trans person and being a good talker um, has helped me in my career, which has just helped me in my life, which is great. And I've been able to have an impact. Um, I've met so many young people. I think you know, I I think the work that has really had the most impact on me uh, is my work with queer youth. You know, like I've got to do a lot of kinds of like high profile shit with celebrities and all of these things. But it was working at the Bronx Community Pride Center, 
you know, with these young kids. And some of them now are grown, like um, India Moore. India Moore was one of my babies. You know, she's a coming to the pride center. You know what I'm saying? Like so many of them who I've got Gia, you know, Gia Love, Bronx Community Pride Center, young, just coming in, you know, just at the beginning of the transition. I haven't even started yet. And I've got to watch them. And I'd like to think I've had a part. Uh, I've, I've played a part uh, in their success by being there when they were so young and giving them refuge and giving them a safe place. And that's been probably some of my most important work, working with Black queer kids who, particularly in the Bronx, you know, the, the Bronx is the poorest borough of, in New York City, and it is the home to the most Black queer people in New York City. Right? Mm -hmm. So those things are going hand in hand. So, you know, these kids were coming in, and we had this building that was just Dirty. I mean, there was rats. We had it was we it was hood. But these babies came in there and they loved each other, and they would make costumes out of whatever the fuck they could. And we'd have balls and we'd have conversations and we'd laugh together. We cry together and sometimes we fight, you know. But it was the brilliance and the love from them that has really filled me up to this day. And I mean, and I haven't and I haven't seen it replicated. Not at these award shows. Not at these big highfalutin things that I get to do. Not around all of these, you know, these newly famous queer people. None of that compares to the love and the brilliance and the resilience of these kids. Mm -hmm. So I think this visibility, having this visibility, has allowed me to have an impact on our on our kids. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been the biggest thing. But you know, the visibility. I don't know. Maybe we could talk a little about this. I. I don't know, <laughs> because I feel like that I've seen there be black uh, trans people, not just black folks, but let's talk about black people because the white folks, whatever, black trans folks who come into this space wanting to be more be famous instead of wanting to really have an impact mm. or, you know, using you know, the queer work doing like this kind of advocacy work as a stepping stone to what they really want to do. And not really, you know, and I've seen that happen multiple times with multiple different people. Of course, I ain't gonna name no names, but we can, you know, whatever. You can gather whomever you want, right? Who can fit into that in that mold. Because it's multiple, it ain't just one. It's, it's many. Multiple. <laughs> multiple. You know what I'm saying? And like, so that can be a bit frustrating. You know, that people are just taking the visibility and exploiting it. But I also try, but again, I, tr I try to have a, I try to have like a multivariate lens to this, right? I try to give it some grace because the other question is like, well, how are, other, how are black queer people getting their resources? How are they getting, what are the other stepping stones to their dreams? What other ways in which are they valid? And, you know, are they, you know what I'm saying? Is it just through exploiting these spaces? You know, it's hard. It's it's, it's, a, it's, it's hard. a new avenue. We, we yeah. even, you know, younger, uh, there was a, t we were hustling, trying to do whatever we could to get ahead. Now with the visibility, we're just seeing it play out on social media. We're seeing it play out on TV. We're seeing it play out in these new avenues because of sensationalism, yeah. because right. of tokenism, because of yeah. these things and people trying to get ratings and trying to um, get more clicks and more views. It has become a part of the hustle that is new um, that we, that I think just evolved because there was a hustle <laughs> when we were younger. This is a part of the hustle that we've always had. That we've always had. Okay. That's how I think about it. Yeah, okay. you, it just... Because when we think... Yes, it just, it's just for me, it feels like... Because when I see 
when I was younger, and I, I didn't grow up in a big city like New York, or uh, but I grew up in Indianapolis, and in there, how people were trying to get seen because everybody want to be validated and seen. Everybody wants that, and so oh. how people um, were getting validated and seen at the time, it wasn't on TV. It was to be at the local fashion show that they never had trans people in, to be at the um, to go to the skating rink <laughs> and get and get and be at the popular spot where all the straight people were at because we, you know, value this this heteronormativity and we wanted to be just regular girls or regular boys and you know and be that thing. And so it just looked different. It looked we, you know, being in the school play at our in our in our in our um city, we had this um talent show called the Guy Black Talent Show. He was like the radio, the popular radio jockey of our city. And he had a talent show every year. So getting on the stage and doing whatever talent you had, that was, oh, at least I can get some validation because I do know how to sing, because I do know how to rap, because I do know how to dance. StarQuest, we had a dance uh, dance competition called StarQuest every year and being able to get in part of that. So us just trying to be a part of community, the hustle in that, just looks different because now we have access to television. We have access to outside of the Jerry Springers. out Because, you know, even that, remember Jerry Springer, people will go on that show just to be on TV. They will make up a storyline for you. They will, yeah. it would be totally I know a couple people who went on Ricky Lake. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the whole shit. Diddy Jones, Ricky Lake, all that shit was people, I just oh. want to get some kind of shine and, and get some kind of visibility. Yeah, that makes sense. Now you put it like that, that makes sense. Yeah, it is a part of our hustle. But it's also like, let's do that hustle, but then, you know, let's not, let's not lose sight of how we can still be in solidarity. Let's make sure we're still giving back, you know. I, you know what that that looks different for all of us. Are we asking them to make that community connection and our... This is where it gets scary for me because, you know, I think about this a lot when it comes to, you know, like protecting people like um, Sexy Red, um, Sukiana. Yeah. How far do we expect them to think about community when I'm just trying to take care of my family and I'm just trying to how yeah. far how that nuance, that balance of yeah. how how far do we need them to take that? That's yeah, that's a good question. I think it's up to the individual. Like, find yes. out how you can take it. Like, yes. for me, I don't do as much public-facing stuff anymore. I don't do a whole lot of big community things, right, as much. I still do my consulting. I do a lot of stuff behind the scenes because that's, you know, at my age, I've done been doing this shit for 20 years. So I'm going to pass on the time. There's some young kids who are coming up who want to, who are, who got that vigor. They ain't jaded. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm, that bad. comes. <laughs> okay, it's on. Come it's back here, right? I got time for all this mess, you know, <laughs> and I still mentor and I have like, I have a few young people and I was, you know, sort of young people, but I have people in my life who I mentor, who I really pour into. So that's what I do. So finding out what you can do and just do it. You ain't, you ain't, you ain't got to be on the front lines. You don't have to do all the organizing. You don't have to do all, show up for every protest, for everything. You don't have to be in every organization, but find out, but do something. And even mm -hmm. if it's just taking a person under your wing, even if it's just like, you know, just creating a little community. And when, you know, you got a few of your, your trans friends, your queer friends that you just pour into. Just do yeah. what you do with what you got. And don't ever lose sight of that. That's that's my thing. And it, that starts to shift. It does shift mm -hmm. as we get older. It shifts as our careers change. It shifts as our family dynamics change. You know, it shifts. But but never lose sight of, of impacting our community. Never lose sight. Because we are all we got. We really are. We are all we got. 
You know, the visibility, the negative side of visibility to me and that has shown up. And I don't know if this is toxic. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it was a toxic relationship with people that I had when I was younger, but it was something about, because we were a subset of a subset, we, we are, we were the little T in the LGBT in the nineties. So it was. <laughs> I could, I could have, I could, because it wasn't this, public national discourse i could bring my thoughts of who i was to a man when and i'm talking about in love love mm -hmm. potentials the visibility shifted in love potentials i could bring my thoughts to a man without him having a political agenda attached to not accepting me mm. now our transness is connected to political agendas so they have thought about how they should respond when they meet trans people. Am I going to use their right pronouns? Am I going to accept them? When I was younger, people I met, particularly in romantic relationships, potential relationships, I could meet them and they hadn't even thought about what they would do or say if they met a trans person. It wasn't in their radar to think about. It wasn't a thing. Not that we weren't there, but it that we weren't a part of their lives. And now the visibility has made people, force people to make us take a stand, yay or nay, in this issue. Are trans women women? Are trans men men? Are trans people who they say that or, or are they not? When in the back in the day, when I would meet people, I had a chance to kind of make my case. I had a yeah. chance to say, this is how my life was. This is what I've experienced. And mm -hmm. I hope that you can accept me for who I am, what you see. And this is the yeah. unique. And they will have no thought process <laughs> in the back of nothing to pick aside except for who they experienced me to be. And so yeah. back now, honey, I meet dudes and honey, they're bringing up T.S. Madison. They're bringing up. Um, swimmers that swimming on the men's with the women's team, they're bringing up, um, you know, children getting um sex changes at five years old. I'm like, that's not true, and <laughs> and they're bringing up all these political agenda, this right wing stuff that is infused in their mind about what our agenda is as trans people, and it doesn't it doesn't even give them a chance to see me as a person because they're. Yeah. Uh, I'm attached to that political agenda. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's a really that's a really interesting point. I don't think I've ever thought about it in that way as a because I'm a trans man, mm -hmm. right? And as a trans man, we are often just left out of the conversation completely. Like for instance, when that whole thing went down with the periods, you know that whole stupid conversation. Uh huh. You know the that comes that up every uh, every two years. <laughs> like I'm so sick of all this stupid shit. <laughs> Hey, but you know, we talked about that and it landed squarely at the feet of trans women. But it was like, but it's landed at the feet of trans women because y'all are not even taking in consideration trans men in this in this con we're talking about like you know what bodies can do. We weren't even a part of the conversation. So a lot of the times there is this place where we are rendered invisible, which I think for some trans guys they like it because we aren't necessarily attached to a political agenda like that. Because the political agenda is always about trans women, and it's less it's and it's about policing women, really. And that's why I wish like other like cis head people would, would understand. It's about policing women, period. 
on what fem on what acceptable femininity looks like or what acceptable womanhood looks like. It's a seeped in patriarchy and sexism, and because of it, we are completely left out of that political uh, uh, arena. But it does that makes um, a lot of sense, and I think because we are left out of that political arena, that there are that as a trans man, I think I have more space. You know, no one's no one's policing me. And I'm in, in the love conversation. In the love conversation, y'all niggas is always partners. Oh, <laughs> and ain't never been. Ain't, ain't, I tell you what, I ain't never had a problem with. with you know what I'm saying? That ain't never been an issue. Always, but let me tell you, every woman that I have been with, every woman I have been with has done something transphobic or said something transphobic, even though they love me. Every yeah. last one, they get mad and call me a bitch. Get mad and want to put man in quotes. Get mad and tell me this. Oh, every time. Every time. You know, I'm not immune to it. I'm not yeah. immune to it. You know what I'm saying? But there is less policing. There is definitely uh, less policing. And that's just so unfair to trans women, you know, because because then it starts to affect how you can create your love relationships because these men are coming in again with this political agenda. They're forced to pick and they're not able just to see you for the human being you are. And you're not even given the space to even talk about it because you can't talk about it without it being connected to these politics. Mm, you know yes. Yeah, it's, it's it's fucked up. And so I think it's like a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like, I, I appreciate all the work that we're doing publicly and public policy and stuff. Um, but also, like, but can we just say, though, and I don't know. I'm going to need you to help me think this through. <laughs> okay, because I'm just... White trans women. And there are some white trans women I love. Shout out to y'all. Okay, what am I saying? Okay, Diamond, help me. Come on, <laughs> this is, we are currently in a, a a viral moment where this is this is relevant. So, okay, right. I think that there are just some ways in which. Okay, okay. Let me just back up. Okay, so I think that there are some later transitioning white trans women, right, who are still have still not unpacked the privilege that they had as walking as white men in this world mm -hmm. who come into these spaces and kind of hijack these conversations who can take up more space and it and it and it makes it harder for us mm -hmm. do you know what i'm trying to say yes like i know exactly but there's it goes it's similar to the nuance that we have with black men you you yes. come you that's just what it is Black trans men too. Black trans men too. Yes, there, there is, there is a nuance that you come from as a black trans man. There's some nuance that you go into privilege when you mm -hmm. become a man. You go into privilege, and you can actually benefit from the invisibility. You That's can right. actually not be held accountable for not you. A lot of y'all, a lot of y'all will say. Hey, why are y'all invisibilizing me? But then go with your sister and your woman, have a house, and and not actually come to community events. We have things for you, and you don't come to it. There's so a, many I, trans men who are like, nope, I'm invisible. Yeah. And I love it. And they and and or and they oscillate between the two. Like when I need some resources, ooh, why are y'all not giving me resources? But when I don't, I want this in invisibility. I think that white trans women that that that's similar to that nuance where yes you got this privilege that you need to unpack absolutely but also there's a nuance to white trans women that they are women and right. we treat them differently depend especially when if they pass or not 
this yeah. scenario that we just had with the Delta worker. Um, did you see that? Um, I saw it. I, I saw it, and I was, I saw it. I didn't, and I didn't see the the trans the trans woman who I don't know who she was. She's right. An so actress. I, She's an actress. So I still, I so I didn't really have an opinion next. I just wanted to see what was going on because I have seen white trans women who, you know, I don't like this idea of passing, but who, you know, are not assumed to be cisgender because right. of how they're looks, right? Which is fine. Yeah. But to but to like antagonize people in these spaces, I don't know. I don't know. I don't don't, don't get me in trouble. No, no, no. I'll say, you know, I'll be I'm okay with trouble. <laughs> so let me tell you something. Yes, there are ways that white trans women can go into their Karen bag. Yes. There, there is, there are, there are ways that they can go into their Karen bag, but there is also, we cannot, your whiteness does not protect you always from transphobia. Right. And I know some clocky trans women who people clock that are trans women and they will be mean to them, misgender them and be shady to them and make it seem like, oh, this crazy tranny want to be called she, this crazy tranny with a deep voice, this crazy right. tranny with that looks like a man that I can't tell is a trans person. And let me tell you something about this pronoun stuff and this, this oh my God, you are so sensitive. When we can tell that you, we can, listen, the people who are under these microaggressions, we are the mo most adept to knowing when it is a microaggression. Right. If you are not Black, you may not be ad adept as us to pick up on racial microaggressions. If you are not gay, you may not be adept enough to pick up on gay microaggressions. If you are not trans, you may not be adept enough to pick up on subtle Michael, yeah. that is the definition of a microaggression to be subtle and interact. That's right. So I can tell when you are misgendering me on purpose and on accident, even if it's subtle. That's it. Yeah. Don't that's the think difference. that I cannot. And so mm -hmm. there are moments when in this particular video where this person is just calling out that you're misgendering me. And while you may not be doing it intentional, the one that you're coming in after another person has already did it. I'm already frustrated. And now right. you're doing it to me again. And right. so you can't be like, well, you need to, your voice, listen to your voice. I don't give a fuck about my voice. I don't give a fuck if I'm not passing. If I tell you I'm trans and you're not mm -hmm. a fucking transphobe, you should automatically just say, oh, I apologize. That wasn't my intention. You should not go into threats to kick me out of the fucking airport when I'm yep. just calling out that I'm uncomfortable with you misgendering me, whether you can tell or not. Oh, I couldn't tell. We can tell when you, you, you it's an accident. Motherfuckers know what they look like. And so, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know when I'm clocky or if I got some stubble on my face or if I got da da da. Motherfuckers know. And so, oh. so if you say, I apologize, I'm, I, I, I made a mistake, blah, 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 blah and move on and correct yeah. yourself, it will not be a problem. We're not sensitive in that sense. But we know when you fucking being shady. We know when you do it. And a white trans woman, I have seen, we have seen viral moments like this, where a white trans woman who doesn't have the right voice, who doesn't have the right look, yeah. and I hate that I feel like I'm defending white, white anybody, <laughs> but I know that nuance. 
I've seen it. And you're not about to gaslight me to think that they're not experiencing transphobia because of their whiteness. Yes. They can yeah. be parents. They can have. They can be white racists. They can be. They can do their own racial microaggressions. They can yeah. do all of these the homophobic uh, microaggressions. They can do all of these things. But we can hold two things at once. We can hold that they can be people can be shady to them. Cisgender people can be transphobic to them and do it subtly and directly and indirectly and do these things. And we can acknowledge that. And we can also acknowledge that they hold a different space. Than sure. if we were if they were a black trans person, they, they're mm-hmm. going to get a little bit more attention or they're going to get a little bit more outrage from the community, because just like we talked about black men before, we yep. we can hold those things at the same time. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That makes a lot of sense. And I've seen that. I've seen these moments where a white trans woman will like intent be going to like seek out that misgender. You're trying to seek this out as a way of showing and it's like that's not don't fucking do that. <laughs> like yes. you know, I see this one this white woman and uh white trans woman and the guy was like, I don't know. He's like, I'm sorry, I don't know. What what do you want me to say? And she was just going off on Buddy. And Buddy was like, I don't do I don't know. What do you want me to say? And she said, Well, do I look like a woman or a man? He said, You look like a man. And she just got all upset. And it's like, what the fuck you asking that? He he already apologized. He asked you what pronoun to use. Just do it. Like, why are you chasing after these moments? Yeah. You know, and that's and that's the thing that has bothered me um in the community that I've saw, particularly when it comes to some white trans folks, kind of chasing mm. after instead of it just it's going to happen it's going to happen organically yeah it's going to happen you know and when it happens just to let it run i get misgendered on the phone all the time all the time i don't care because if i got called customer service i'm already pissed okay (laughs) they'd be like a miss milan yes yes but just do what the fuck you got to do give your money back you know what i'm saying but just trying to chase those moments but yeah i don't know there's, there's a lot. There's a lot to it's unpack. It's a nuance. Here. It's a lot to unpack. And it's it's some this is we are the experts at it. Yes, and we yes, can yes. we we are the experts at it and we can talk through it and we can talk about it. And this is why you fucking need us, people. So we can mm-hmm. explain to you how these things work because we are the experts at it. So I want to go back to this love thing. Love. Yeah, let's go back to this love thing. Cause you you have had some. Love rises and falls in public. <laughs> um, publicly. <laughs> um, what are some of the reoccurring pitfalls that you see in trans masculine's experience of love? You know, I, I, I definitely have seen, you know, an experience to when, you know, the love is, you're not, the height is all everything. The respect is there, da, 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 da. And then when it's falling down, honey, this person who was so in your corner turns into one of the transphobes that um, you experience. And so what are some of those nuances? Yeah, that's how my ex-wife, you know, I think from, I can't talk for, speak for all trans men, but I think it yeah. can resonate. You know, for me, when it comes to the women that I've chosen, and how I've been in relationships. What I'm starting to understand now, because I'm in therapy, shout out to my therapist. <laughs> uh, I have really operated from a place of insecurity and fear. You know, I'm scared that I'm not going to be man enough, that I'm never going to be loved for the fullness of who I am. And so I'm willing to, like, I'm willing to betray my own boundaries. I'm willing mm-hmm. to really do whatever it is to make this woman know that I am worthy of her love, to be man enough. 
You know, I've done that a lot and I've done that to my own detriment. You know, it's like a breaking my own heart. And that's the thing. I'm any, any man, a man who operates from insecurity and fear is a danger to himself and is a danger to the people around him. And I've operated from that place for a long time, for a long time. And every relationship, every one of them, it's been, it's been something when it comes to my gender, you know? And um, it makes you feel like, it used to make me feel like I wasn't lovable, that my transness was something that was going to keep me from having these these romantic relationships and these encounters. But now, you know, I've had these relationships and you know, I love women. You know, I've only dated cis women. I'm open to trans girls. I just have it. I just have it. You know, I did hit on a trans girl one time. I ain't going to say her name. Jumped <laughs> <laughs> in her DMs. And I don't think she realized what I was trying to do. And she kind of just blew me off. <laughs> I was like, so hey, are you in town? She was like, why? What's up? I was like, oh, well. <laughs> uh, that happens <laughs> all the time to me because I've never dated a trans man either. And they sometimes I don't know what they do. And I'll be like, what are you doing? What? What is happening here? You got to not literally, but you, honey, you got to beat me on the head with it. It can't be. It can't be subtle. You need to let me know what your intentions are because I'm not going to take it how you think I'm going to take it. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Shorty did not understand what I was saying. I was like, well, girl, you know, but this is what I'm realizing now. For me, I'm realizing that I need, when it comes to love, getting myself out of a place of insecurity and fear and really like reestablishing myself, my own boundaries and really starting to love myself first. And a part of loving myself first is pouring into my platonic relationships. Ooh. Pouring into these women that I'm sleeping with and I'm fucking and all this shit. Mm -mm. I want to love up all my friends. Mm. Love into my friends because they are the ones that's going to show up for you every time your real friends your real friends going to be here when that girl is gone when that boy when that man is gone that you've been fucking when they gone come on come on come on come on still going to be there and so i'm in a place where right now where i'm pouring into my into the homies and it feels really good and and it's coming back and it's reciprocating into me and it's pouring back into me so then when i am ready to go back into that romantic space i have been filled up and i've been built up by the homies around me so that's what i'm doing right now i'm just pouring into those platonic relationships because we put way too much emphasis on our romantic relationships and that's a heterosexual thing that's a patriarchal thing right it comes from all of that you know and we as like people i know i identify as as, as queer so me as a queer person and as a trans person, I don't really, I don't really need those blueprints of love and relationship. That does not have to be my priority. My priority is my community. My priority are the people who who pick me up when I when I fall, when that girl breaks my heart, who are there to listen to me cry, who are going to feed me and tuck me in. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When these women are gone, and that's what I'm doing, and that's what I think we should do as as trans people, really pour into pour into our people. Pour into each other. And those love relationships and that romance is going to come, you know? Um, but for me, I think, you know, and I've had a lot of good love. And not to say that the women I've dated have been bad. I mean, some of them have been terrible. But <laughs> I've dated some really amazing, beautiful, brilliant Black women who have really loved me and who are still good friends. I'm good friends with to this day. But those love relationships and romance, it, come, it comes at a great risk. It comes at yeah. a great risk. And right now, I'm in at a place in my life where I don't really want to... I don't want to risk it anymore because I'm not, I'm not there. I'm still working from insecurity. You know, as much as I've done in the community and it's, and it's, you know, this little bit of fame I have and people think I'm cute and all that shit. And deep down, I'm deeply insecure, mm. deeply insecure, deeply fearful, you know, and I don't want to be that anymore. Mm. So I got to take a break from it. Got to take a break from it. That's powerful. I, I feel like, um, 
that is definitely what I have seen in the past five years. I haven't been a relation in a um, relationship since 2012, so it's been a while for me. Um, mm-hmm. um, not a serious one, you know. I've tried to play for like two weeks with somebody. I'm like, oh, this is not working. I'm out. Um, <laughs> but um, but as far as return on investment, I have much much more return on investment with my friends. Be pouring into making sure you know in the ways that in my past men were valid a validation of my womanhood and yeah. so very connected to the validation of my woman because that's what i saw women in my family do you get chose you have a man you be at home and um cooking and cleaning and and taking care of him and being his piece <laughs> that's that's how the women were and so i thought that that was a part of womanhood and so in my younger years it was a part of the validation somebody choosing you means that you are a beautiful woman so a man a masculine particularly dark skin for me because that's some rooted in some colorism shit uh, mm-hmm. a, a dark skin masculine tall hood nigga choosing yeah. me makes me a woman it was a, it you know it it, it validates yeah. my womanhood is is the public can see see i have a woman boom yeah. <laughs> and that's what it was connected to and yeah. so as i gotten old and so what i would do it was i was invest in you know invest in their birthday invest in being there for them and supporting them and just being their peace and being their support system in a way that I did not do to my friends. Was I there for my friends? Absolutely. But it was just kind of just so happened. Oh, my friend has this, so let me go and da 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 It was not me intentionally trying to right. be there for my friend. It just was something to do. They had something going on. I'm going to see. But now mm-hmm. I'm intentionally showing up. How do you need to me to help this event go better? How do you, how do you, how can I support whatever this venture that you're going into? What can I, how can I add to it? Do I need to do some advertising on a podcast? Do I need to blah, 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 blah. How can I help you in whatever your situation. And I have had the amazing, an amazing difference in return on investment in my career. <laughs> it feels so good when it comes to that. It does. When you are intentionally pouring into your friends instead of just like, just as an aside, because you're too busy with this nigga over here. You're too busy with this woman over here. You know what right. I'm saying? You're just like popping in and out of their lives. It just feels really good to be present for that love. And you know what? I got friends who I've had for 25 years, 25, mm-hmm. 20, 15 years. I ain't never been with a woman that long. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Same. Okay, I can't remember who I was dating 20 years ago. She's gone. But these people are still here. Well, okay, well, I'm going to take a beat here and I'm going to pour into y'all. I'm going to pour mm. into you. I'm going to show up for you and I'm going to let that love fill me up. And, you know, I'm a human. If I want to, you know, get off a little bit, there ain't nothing, you know, we just. That's you know, yeah, it is what it is. But I can, but that love, I want to experience that that real deep love. And I think that real deep love connection comes from our community and comes from our friends. And I'm here for it. Mm. I'm here for that now these days. I love that. Give me, give me, give me euphoria. More than peace of mind. It's the joy and space to change the tide. Give me, give me, give me euphoria. More than peace of mind It's the joy and space to change the tide Gimme, give gimme, give gimme give you some feeling And the high you never come down from Whoa. A lot of trans talk and, um, and 
trans discussions are rooted in our dysphoria. Yeah. I ask people, what has been bringing you euphoria? What has been, that's the, always the last segment of our show, um, gender euphoria, not gender euphoria, but just euphoria. Um, yeah. But what has been bringing you joy? And it can be something small like your dog or a book or uh, your shirt, support trans athletes. It could, it could be whatever, whatever has been bringing you joy in the past week, month, recent that has been bringing you euphoria, bringing you that joy? That's a good, okay, that's a good question. I think in the last month, the, the things that have been bringing me a lot of joy, sobriety. Mm. Again, you know, drink drugs and alcohol is such a big part of black culture now. We look at like hip hop, we look at young people, they're all on pills and doing all kinds of shit. And, you know, I was one of those people too, drinking and drugging for a long time. Sobriety has given me so much clarity. And it's giving me, I can synthesize information better. I enjoy people more. I could be present in conversation. Again, going back to that love piece, I could be present in the conversations with the people that I love, that I'm being sober. Um, you know, dealing with the crises, the, these like multiple crises that's happening around in the world and how they're landing on me, you know, not numbing out to it, but it's like feeling what it feels like and then having the dexterity to work through it. Because I'm sober, that has been bringing me a lot of joy. And I really, and I, everybody ain't got to get sober, but I think that look at how drugs and alcohol are in our life and just take it down a couple of notches or abstain mm -hmm. completely if you can, you know. But it is a really beautiful thing to experience this world without all of that. Because, you know, you know, when you, when you, when you have all the alcohol and drugs in your system, God is not able to work through you the way God needs to work through you. Mm -hmm. That's what I, right? God's love just lays dormant in us. It's, you know, they call alcohol spirit for a reason. This is not, this is a Heineken Zero. Y'all see me drinking this the whole time. You know, there is no alcohol in this. Um, that's been bringing me a lot of joy. And also my connection to our to my spirit. You know, I think our spirit, I think trans people, I think we are divine. Yeah. And we have been divine on this earth. And there is a divinity in our self-determination. There's a divinity in the tenaciousness of our, of our lives. You know, God has given us the will. Only thing God, don't, don't get me to preaching, but this is the thing. The one God is just love, period. And God only wants for us to be the best version of ourselves. Me as a trans man, my transness is my blessing. Me being a trans man is me being the highest version of myself. I would not, I may not even be here if I wasn't the man that I am, you know? And so because of that, that is bringing me joy, knowing that there's a divinity in my trans body and in this trans spirit and in this black skin. Mm. And knowing that, situating myself in that when it's hard, mm -hmm. you know, I know that God has me, even when I don't understand what's going on, even when I'm being betrayed and I'm being violated and cheated on and whatever. There was a divinity in this life. Mm. There's a preciousness in this life that nobody gets. I mean, we came in here, we came into this world and he said, I'm going to define myself for myself. God can't do nothing but love you for that. Can't do nothing but love you for that. You know, and I think that that's what we have to hold on to like no matter what you believe you're a christian you're muslim you're an atheist but know that there is something bigger than you that got you and that loves you because we are showing up in the world exactly how we want to do in love and in community with each other mm. that is bringing all the joy in the world these days ah uh, for me what has been bringing me euphoria this week is so i'm glad that you said what you said because it is actually connected to what you're saying so perfectly. Yeah. Oh. The Suge Avery's and Seeley's of the world. 
Mm. I recently mm. saw Color Purple. And one of the things that have always resonated with me with those two characters, those two characters is while they are total opposites in one sense, you have mm. this performative, beautiful, always praised, always objectified um, um, woman who is Suge Avery and this who has been harmed and, you know, through those things. And yeah, then you yeah. have Celie who is in this, you know, relative prison of abuse and a harm that she went from one abusive relationship to another abusive relationship. And she's like this prison of under this patriarchal rule in this home. But what they both had in common, they found love in each other. I don't know why y'all surprised about that if y'all read the book. Um, they, <laughs> they clearly didn't read the book. Um, they oh. found unconditional love in each other. But mm-hmm. what they what what the what the experience of these characters also bring is neither one of them lost their divinity that was in them. The, right. the God that was in them, the, the yes, my father, my preacher father abandoned me or, or disowned me and blah, 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 blah. But I still had the wherewithal to know that seeing God and God being love and, and God wanting the praise and wanting you to walk past the color purple and not ignore it, wanting mm-hmm. you. She had that mentality. God is in all of us. Yep. And yet, yes, you may think I'm a loose worldly Jezebel but God is in me and I, wherever I go if I go to the big city performing da 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 he is in me they are in me she is in me and no matter what harms that the man the world brings to me as long as I hold on to that God is going to find a way to bless me and look at and the same thing happened with Celie I didn't lose my faith and I didn't lose the goodness that's just innately in me. And when the world around me seemed dark, even though it took a long time and we can, you know, critique that, but it comes, I get my family, I get this, I, I get Suge, I get um, freedom. It just comes. I get Sophia. And yep. so that divinity within those two characters brought me joy. It has always brought me joy from from Alice Walker's book to the 1985 movie to the new version, which, you know, which was joyous because it was a musical and it took kind of the edge off the um, the trauma of it. But okay. I see it. Yes. It took the, because it's a musical. Yeah. Good. Good. People can say it. Cause I think a lot of people didn't realize it was going to be a musical. Like, what do, y- do y'all not read? Y'all niggas ain't read it. It's a musical. What the fuck? Yes. It takes the trauma, the heaviness, it, it's the themes, but it takes the heaviness because when they get to jumping in songs, in relevant relevant songs, it takes it out of you being emotional about the experience in a way that the old movie did and the book did. Um, this, it gives, it's really a focus on the joy and the triumph and the inner workings of what's going on with Silly and the relationship. They explore the queer relationship of Celie um, and Suge a little bit more. So much so that it was beautiful. Beautiful relationship the two of them have. Yes, and and even so much so that I, when I went to see it, I, some parents walked out with their children. That's that's I didn't read the was, book. clearly, and it wasn't no sexual. They kissed. It was a you know there was a there was that part. Yes. In the movie. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. So I was like, what? And it wasn't like they were 
fucking, but it, it they really did it a, a very tasteful way of showing through song, through, you know, same way they did in that 1985 where, you know, there was kisses, there was blah, 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 but it wasn't like, ooh, I'm fingering you. You can't get caught up on the sex part, but it's it's the it's the it's the love through the through love. like through all of that hardship. These yes, two women yes. found love through that hardship. And you take the kiss away. There are so many black women who find love through that hardship. Yes. And there's a depth there, and there is an intimacy there. And sometimes it manifests physically, and oftentimes it doesn't. Like this later rock. Like, why are you walking out the theater? Like, grow up. Talk about it. Use it as a springboard to have the conversation. Hey, so that's what has been bringing me euphoria this week. I Teak. love that. Teak, I want you to know that I love you. You are one of my favorite trans people in the world, favorite men in the world. You are. You are... Yes. FaceTime me. <laughs> I'm a and... FaceTime me. Let's talk. <laughs> and I want to thank you for joining me on on the show. And make sure y'all um, follow Teak. Tell tell them where they can find you. Follow me on Instagram at the Mr. Milan, and you can find me on Facebook at um, Teak Milan. That's still my main platforms. Find me. I post fun stuff. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Make sure y'all, I have all those links in the bottom. Make sure y'all check it out and make sure y'all share this. Make sure y'all do all the things that you know you're supposed to do. We are in this culture, this internet culture. Share it, like it, share it with people. And yeah, support the platform. Have a wonderful day. Awesome. Thank you, honey. Well, that's it. Thank you for coming and getting a taste of Marsha's Plate. You can listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Make sure you leave a review because we really need those five stars, y'all. And go like our Facebook page and leave some comments. We will be posting exclusive content every Thursday, so you definitely don't want to miss out. You can also follow us on Twitter and any other social media site at Marsha's Plate. If you'd like to donate or advertise with us, hit us up at diamondstyles at gmail.com. That's diamondstylz at gmail.com. And that's it for us, y'all. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. You going to say bye, Mia? Oh, bye, (laughs) (laughs) y'all.